All right. Well, let's take our Bibles together, and we'll be in the book of Psalms. We are starting a new series called The Red Sea Rules. Not the Red Sea Rules, man. Okay, this is not the hip way of saying it, but rules from the Red Sea. Okay, I had to do that for the teenagers so they know what's going on. Uh, but there's a little book, The Red Sea Rules, and this is uh, what has prompted this series. Well, the Spirit of God, I believe, has prompted it, but the Lord used this. As I've been reading this, a friend gave me this book, and it is a great book. How many have read this? Anybody? You've read this? No? Okay. Well, you, you definitely should, if you, if you uh, are able, pick one of these up. You don't have to have this book for this series. I'm going to basically just use it as a jumping off point. I'm not going to preach the book per se, but uh, we will go through the 10 rules. Uh, but if you would like the book, I do have two extra copies free of charge, so don't stampede me at the end. But uh, first come, first served. I got two extras there that we can get in your hands. This is uh, going to need to be hopefully abbreviated this, this evening because we have the Lord's table. But I wanted to give an introduction and a bit of an overview of the series, kind of where, where are we going with this series here. So Psalm 77 is where we'll be in a moment. Um, Life has a way of showing us just how much we truly trust the Lord, doesn't it? The crises that we face, the difficulties, the challenges, health, family, work, whatever, the world, uh, we find ourselves in a situation where we feel cornered, trapped, no way out, it gets scary, it gets intense, we start sweating, and... We, uh, if you're like me, you can, you can get into a panic mode real quick. What we want to see from this series is how we can go from panic to praise, and God can use crises to do that in our life and to, to show us how to depend upon the Lord regardless of the circumstances. Uh, in this series, uh, the Red Sea Rules, we're going to be hopefully looking at how uh, we can face our trials and these crises with faith. And we're going to be looking at the children of Israel and how they got their back up against the wall. Only it wasn't a wall, it was the Red Sea. And uh, they, they looked one way and there's the Red Sea. They look around and there's mountains. They turn around and coming down from the mountains are the Egyptians. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be in that spot, humanly speaking. That's just not comfortable. And that's certainly a place that will test your faith. And as we look at the children of Israel, there are many life lessons and applications that can be drawn from just that whole period of the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings and going to the promised land and taking, taking uh, possession of the promised land. There's so many applications that we can have for our Christian life, the victorious Christian life. I wonder how you feel at this moment. Maybe you feel like your back is up against the Red Sea, there's mountains on both sides, and here comes the Egyptian army with chariots bearing down upon you. And if that's how you feel, you're in good company. A lot of us are right there with you or have been very recently uh, or will be very soon. And certainly the children of Israel knew what this is about. And as you see, as you saw on the, 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 the previous screen, the God who led you in will lead you out. That's what we're going to be looking at. The God 
who's in control and wants to use the circumstances of life to build our faith and bring us from panic to praise and, uh, and, and victory. I don't like to feel trapped. I don't like that at all. I, I'm, I'm kind of sort of claustrophobic. I, you know, I, I don't like tight things. I don't like tight spaces. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm totally claustrophobic, but there are times where I, I just, I want to know where the exit is and how do we move and let's have a personal space, right? I think a lot of you could agree with that. I don't like to be trapped. I don't like to be overwhelmed. I don't like to be in a situation that seems hopeless. And as you look at the situation that we're going to be seeing, not, not this morning, direct, this evening directly, but Lord willing, next week and the coming weeks, uh, Moses and his followers could say we're trapped. We're overwhelmed. It's hopeless. We're terrified. We are shocked that God would lead us here. In fact, they're probably angry. Maybe even uh, uh, angry at God because they're feeling betrayal. There are times where it would seem that we have been betrayed by God himself. And I don't mean that that's how it actually is. I mean it's how we sometimes perceive it. There are times where Satan pulls the rug out from under us, takes our faith out at the knees, and we say, God, how could you do this? I thought you said you loved me, you would never leave me nor forsake me, that you'd provide for me, that you'd protect me, and all these things, all these promises, and just like that, they're gone. Now that's your perspective at the moment, and it needs some correction. But nonetheless, it's our perspective, and because of that, many times even Christians get angry and frustrated, bitter, and begin to feel betrayed by God. I wonder how Moses felt. I wonder how the followers felt. They had just come through all those plagues, and God had sent them out with a mighty hand, and he did not send them out empty. They spoiled the Egyptians on their way out. They came out with loot. Can you imagine how excited they were? Yeah! Gold and stuff, and look at this. Oh, man, let's go spend money. Where do you spend money in the wilderness? <laughs> Are there any malls out there? I don't know. Uh, but they're going to go do something with the money. I don't know. Uh, maybe make a god out of it. Uh, that happens later. That's not so good. But they are so excited to have spoiled the Egyptians and just like that, they're trapped. Here comes the Egyptians. There's the chariots. There's the mountains. There's the Red Sea. They've got all this gold in their hand and it is worthless now. And they feel betrayed. Every last footstep was directed by God for a very specific purpose. Well, if you can relate to these people at all, which you probably can, you're not the only one. A man by the name of Asaph could relate to them. And that's uh, who we're going to start off by looking at here tonight. Asaph. He wrote Psalm 73, which I referred to a lot, but we're not going to deal with that tonight. Psalm 77 is where we're going to be. Asaph went through some trials, and he found comfort in his trial by taking time to remember the Red Sea. Taking time to remember what God did for God's people in a time of trial 
And Psalm 77 is that account of Asaph remembering the Red Sea and some of the rules or, or the characteristics and takeaways that comforted his heart in his trial. Let's see if God will do the same for us. Psalm 77, verse 1. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. That phrase, thou holdest mine eyes waking. In other words, uh, it's like someone's got toothpicks in my eyes. I, I can't close my eyes. I'm wide awake. You ever been there where it seems like your eyes are just wide awake and it's 2 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, I've been there. You probably have too. Thou holdest mine eyes waking and I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Just think about those first five verses so far. Have you ever been here? And if you haven't, boy, that's great. Praise the Lord. But mark it, because one day you probably will be here, and you need to read this and get some help in that time. But for those of us who have been here, this rings true and can kind of hit really close to home. Up all night crying out to God... Up all night without ceasing. No matter how much you want to be comforted, your soul seems to refuse comfort. You remember God, and instead of remembering Him and being blessed, you remember God and you're troubled. That's not how it's supposed to work. You complain. You're overwhelmed. You can't get your eyes to close. You can't sleep. And you can't even speak. Asaph's going through some stuff. And there's arguments as to what he's going through exactly. Uh, there's different interpretations about verse 2, and that's not really my plan to break all of the textual stuff down. The bottom line is this. I, mean, I did my research. You can do yours. That's not the goal of this message. The bottom line is he's in trouble. I think no matter how you take it, he's in trouble. Praying all night long, potentially a health issue, and other issues that are going on in his, in his heart and in his country. He is in distress. A couple of months ago, I could have read this and been literally right there, word for word. Thank the Lord. Uh, I'm a little bit past that now, praise God. But there are times where we go through real darkness and real valleys, what do you do when you're in distress and you're overwhelmed and you can't seem to get out? But what does he do? Let's keep reading verse 5. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. That's good. I call to remembrance my song in the night. Boy, I've done that more than a time or two. I don't know about you. Sometimes a song in the night can be great. I just have learned to sing quietly so I don't get elbowed from my wife. <laughs> She'll throw a pillow at me. No, I don't sing at all. I let it go over in my, in my head. And, and sometimes those words can really help the Spirit. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Now that's where you can start to get into trouble. 
where you're communing with your own heart and your spirit makes diligent search. And if you're anything like me, your spirit can really work overtime, searching and searching and looking for answers and trying to figure stuff out. And there's sometimes God does not want you to figure it out, at least not at 2 o'clock in the morning. There are times where God is the only one who can figure it out. And what happens? Well, you see, verse 7, he slips back into some doubt. He was doing good, remembering the days of old. He was doing good when he called to remembrance his song in the night. But then I think he starts to, to get off and look at the next couple of verses. Now he's got questions of doubt. One right after the next. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. Now this is a little portion of Scripture that I think we can also relate with if we are honest. How many questions do we rattle off in rapid succession to the Lord? We don't even give him time to answer one and we're on to three, four, five, six, seven. And many of our questions have already been answered. In fact, all of these questions that he asks has, have been answered in the Scriptures, and he knew that. But in the moment, he doubted. You know, I think of somebody else who asked a question that he knew the answer to. He asked a question that was absolutely obvious, but... I think of a man by the name of John the Baptist. What question did he ask that he already knew the answer to? Do you guys remember the big one? The big question? What was it? Are you he who should come? Or do we look for another? Something to that effect. John the Baptist. What was John the Baptist's message? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And I mean, he, he knew what the Word of God said. And he had been called from the womb, the Bible says. And uh, John the Baptist was out there, a man on a mission, focused, eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, wow, that's a diet plan. I'd rather pass on. Everybody else is hanging out and doing this and raising kids and having fun. And he's like, no, I've got one mission. I'm blazing a trail for the Lord. And he knew him when he saw him. And I mean, this guy, he knew the answer. And yet John the Baptist in his darkest hour asks a question that is surprising to us today. Are you really the one or are we looking for somebody else? Now, I will tell you, many times in my life, I have gotten to that point in my Bible reading and I read that part from John and I kind of sneer. Humph, John, of all people, shame on you. <laughs> you know, come on. How in the world do you ask that question? What an insult to Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus wasn't insulted, he was not insulted. And he answers the question very profoundly. 
and says, go return that answer to John. He didn't look down on him. You know, folks, you can go through the Bible, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus himself, they all had dark hours. Moses, who we will be looking at a lot as we look at this series. Joshua, who succeeded Moses. They had some dark, dark hours. And yet God met them and God led them through. And they weren't just cast to the side because of some darkness. Folks, if you're going through distress, if you're going through a time of darkness and doubt, it does not mean that God is done with you. It does not mean that you've sinned some unpardonable sin. It means that you're human. It means that Satan's real. It means that he's coming after you and take heart. He wouldn't come after you if you were useless to the cause of Christ. There is a battle going on in your life because Satan feels threatened. So hang in there. Look to the Lord. Get some people praying. Bathe yourself in prayer. And see what God will do. But these questions in verses 7, 8, and 9, yeah, these questions, uh, these are all questions that come out of the doubt of the darkness that we face in trying, distressing times. Will the Lord cast off forever? Of course not. Will He be favorable no more? I got a, 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 10 verses come to mind that say that's not the, the case. Is His mercy clean gone forever? Never. Does His promise fail? No. He can't lie. His promises are sure. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath, hath He in anger shut up His tender mercies? No, 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 no. Well, let's keep reading. Now we're noticing this progression in this psalm. It starts with distress in the first four verses. And then he gets some diligence as he has this conscious decision to call to mind the song in the night. But then he's so diligent in his search for answers, he just he can't come up with answers. He's asking too many questions. And that leads him into doubt. And now, in the next few verses, he gets to the place of dependence. Verse 10. And I said, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the, of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. Verse 12, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of all thy doings. So far, what do you see him doing as he comes to this place of dependence? I see a very purposeful individual. I will remember, I will remember, I will remember, I will meditate. There are times, folks, that it doesn't come natural at all. In the time of panic, in the time of crisis, in the time of chaos and whatever else, the only thing that comes natural is, rah! <laughs> and run the other, the other way. That's the only thing that comes natural. And doubt and questions, those things just fly off the lips and, and, and uh, all kinds of crazy thoughts. Those things come naturally. But if you want to come to that place of dependence and rest, you have to become very, very intentional. And so he says, he recognizes, this is my infirmity. 
This is the bed I'm sleeping in. But I will choose to remember and to think on something else. Boy, praise the Lord for that. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but there, there are times where I have thought, well, I can't meditate on Scripture. I just can't keep my mind focused there. And I've thought, I can't control my mind. <laughs> my mind is just going everywhere. Have you ever thought that your mind was absolutely out of control? Have you ever thought you're going crazy? Well, let's talk because well, I'll commiserate with you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, there's times where I'm just like, slow this thing down. How do you slow? I want to. I want to. I want to slow this thing down. You know what? You can. You have to be very, very intentional, very, very purposeful. And you have to choose to recognize. All right, this is the infirmity I'm going through right now. This is what it is. But I'm not going to just stay there. I will choose to remember what. The years of the right hand of the Most High. The good years. The years of God's faithfulness. I will remember the works of the Lord. I'm going to choose to remember to dwell upon, to think upon the works of God, what He is doing when it seems like He's not doing anything. I know that's not true, so I'm going to look back in my mind to the history that I've already walked. I'm going to think about the works of God. I will think about the wonders of old. You know, you might hate history, students, but history is a good thing. Everybody needs to know a little history. You definitely need to know your history. And it's good to know history beyond that especially when it comes to seeing the hand of God all throughout history. And this is one history book right here that every single individual needs to know. Don't get bored of the Old Testament stories, these narratives, and just skip to the epistles. No, these, the history books are teaching you such incredible, valuable lessons of His works and of His wonders and of the years of His incredible faithfulness, and it begins to lay a foundation for your present and your future. I will remember the years. I will remember the works. And I will remember the wonders. Verse 13, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Well, where did that come from? That didn't sound like doubt and despair. You know what? You can only meditate on God's years of faithfulness, His wonders, and His works for so long, and then you begin to get convinced of God's power. And He starts spilling forth with some great words of faith. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? That's not what he was saying just even a couple of minutes before. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. Wow, now he's cooking. Now we got Asaph to that place of dependence. And how did he get there? By making a conscious decision to choose to think right. 
And uh, for some of us, we need, we need a lot of help with that. You might need to make yourself accountable to a spouse. Hey, whenever I say this, remind me of God's faithfulness in this area. If you all remember and, and go back to when we as a church went through the Quieting and Noisy Soul material with uh, Jim Berg's workbooks, he, uh, he encouraged us to make up stop-think cards. Stop-think. And his cards have a stop sign on it. And, and when you're, you're tempted to think about, oh, some despairing, horrible, dark thought, you say, wait a minute, where's my card? You whip the thing out. Stop! Think! Think what? Turn it over. And there's the Bible verse that is an answer to that specific issue. And that's being intentional. And you can't meditate on Scripture without it doing its work. His Word does not return unto Himself void. He goes from distress to diligent search, then into doubt, but then He comes to dependence and ultimately deliverance. Let's look at the last five verses. Verse 16, The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee, they were afraid. Now, what is he talking about? Remember he said, I, I, I thought about in verse 5, I considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. In verse uh, 10, he remembers the years of the right hand of the Most High. In verse 11, the works of the Lord. In verse 12, the wonders, the wonders of his doings. Okay, uh, what, is he, what is he thinking about when he gets to verse 16? He's thinking about, the Red Sea. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. Lightning, thunder, darkness, wind. Boy, that's quite a spectacle, quite a scene as the, 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 the waters began to part. God didn't do it on a, just this bright, sunshiny day with birds tweeting and singing. <laughs> no, it was a bit of a, a spectacle. God was making a statement. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven and the lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. That's how it went down. How'd the Red Sea part? This is how the Red Sea parted, folks. This is what it looked like. Can you picture it? That's enough to scare the devil out of the bad guys, you know, and enough to scare uh, the good guys too. I don't know about you, but if I'm an Israelite right now, I'm not thinking that I want to just run across that dry ground while all of this is going on. It's just a scary situation. Look at verse 19, and this is why we really came to this passage in the first place. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now think about that. This is where he ends this psalm of distress. By talking about and thinking about the deliverance of God, God's own people at the Red Sea. And he is basically uh, putting himself in that situation and saying, as God delivered them, so he will deliver me. I serve the same God. He is my God. 
and I will be delivered just like them. But he's understanding a couple of things. In deliverance, deliverance doesn't always look like a bright, shiny day. And in the deliverance, it still is going to be scary. Look at this. I mean, this is a scary passage. It's troubling. It's clouds pouring out water, uh, arrows and thunder and lightnings and the earth trembling and and, and shaking. And this is God's deliverance. What I think Asaph is coming to grips with is this. Sometimes God delivers us in ways that we can't imagine through the darkness and through the sea. When they found themselves up against that Red Sea, they turned around and saw mountains, mountains, and here comes an army of chariots, and they recognized that they were trapped. This Red Sea was their enemy. This Red Sea is, 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 is working against them. It's, 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 it's like it's on Egypt's side. God says, you want deliverance? It's going to be through the sea. And he makes a storm, and he makes a scene, and he says, if you want to be delivered, you're going to have to go right through it. Scariest scene they ever saw in their life. I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I think we oftentimes, we see the flannel graph stories and we just assume that the waters split and they said, yay, let's go. I don't think it went down like that. I think they were scared out of their minds. What's going on? Now remember, it happened all night long. The Lord didn't just part it. It happened all night long. And the way he kept them from getting killed by Egypt is he took the, the cloud of fire and stuck it right here and it became a wall of fire. Do you remember that? This will be next week or the week after, but a wall of fire. So now they're protected while he's blowing all of this. And it's not just a, it's what we read. It's lightning and thunder and wind and boisterous and whatever. And then it opens up. And I think they, they, they probably thought twice, do we want to go in there? <laughs> That's scary in there. And I personally, this is just me, I personally wonder if they could see all the way through. And I'm going to venture to guess they couldn't. Because that would have been too easy. The light at the end of the tunnel, if you see all this beautiful daylight, yes, let's just run. I think they could only see enough to get started. That's just my opinion. And they had to follow the Lord all the way through, and he took them through on dry ground, but it was a dry ground, but it was a step of faith every, every step of the way. It was a crisis of trust, but their trial was this Red Sea scene. And God's way of deliverance was right straight through it. Folks, if we're going to have any help from the Red Sea, we've got to recognize God does not always just remove the obstacle. He oftentimes will say, I'm going to deliver you, and your deliverance is going to be by going straight through this. It's going to be the scariest thing you ever do in your life, but I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I will not fail you. 
You're going to get through. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I can. I am the light at the end of the tunnel. And he will guide you through. Uh, I'm out of time here. I had a couple more verses. We'll hit them real quick. Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God can make a way in the wilderness. Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving with all, praying also for us that God would open a door of utterance. God can open a door. He can open a river. He can make a way through anything. 1 Corinthians 10.13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Those are some great New Testament verses for an Old Testament concept. What challenge or crisis are you facing today? Are you filled with panic or praise? And I don't condemn you at all if you're on the panic side. I just want you to know, as we go through this Red Sea uh, experience together, God wants us to, by faith, get to the place of praise. How are you spending your sleepless nights? Do you choose a song of praise? Or do you choose to consider all the questions what we need to do is choose to consider God's character. Remember the days of old. Will you ask the Lord to help you over these next few weeks to take the step of faith, just the next step of faith that he reveals to you in whatever crisis that you're facing? I said we would overview, uh, so I want to do that here. We're just going to go really quick. Here's the 10 Red Sea rules in rapid succession, and we're going to come back and, of course, break this down over the next few weeks. Number one, realize that God means for you to be where you are. And if you don't get all these fast enough, we're coming back to all these. But number one, realize that God means for you to be where you are. Number two, be more concerned about God's glory than you are for your relief. That one, that one hurts. <laughs> number three, acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Number four, pray. Number five, stay calm and confident and give God time to work. We want Him to work just like that. God says, I'm more interested in what I'm doing in you. Give me time. When unsure, number six, when unsure, just take the next logical step of faith. God doesn't always make it all clear. I don't know about you, but a lot of times before I get started on something, I want to know where I'm going. <laughs> Abraham didn't know where he was going. He just set out following God. And Moses didn't exactly know where he was going either. I mean, ultimately promised land, but how are we getting there? Through a Red Sea, through who knows where. Take the next step. Number seven, envision God's enveloping presence. Boy, I would have loved to have seen that wall of fire. Though they were hemmed in on every side, God's presence was there. Number eight, trust God to deliver in his own unique way. Number nine, view your current crisis as a faith builder for the future. Number ten, don't forget to praise him.